good evening. It is awesome to be with you, friends. And um, as I say each week, not to share this word with you, but to share in the Lord's word. I wish I could say that I have not needed this word this week, that I had gotten my fill off the words that we've received in weeks past. But like the Israelites, I have desperately needed to hear this word, not of encouragement, but word of warning. So we'll be in Amos chapter 4 in the church's Bible on page 1058. So last week we studied about the idea that instead of everything happening for a reason, there is a reason that everything happens. So on Monday, Monday morning, I was driving to work and the most bizarre thing happened. So I'm driving and something like a half of a brick comes crashing towards me and collides with my windshield. And I really don't know how to explain it because things like that happen so quickly in just a few seconds that I could see this half of a brick coming at me, but it was like it was moving in slow motion as it was crashing towards my windshield, and I made complete eye contact with it. And as it hit the windshield, it was like I felt this brick collide with my windshield. My heart was pounding. I was in shock like I'd been in a a serious collision. Um, I was not far at all from work, so I made it to my parking space probably within 45 seconds. And I got out and I inspected the truck, and it didn't look like it hit anywhere before it hit the windshield. It didn't hit anywhere afterwards. It just came directly at the windshield. And I actually kind of leaned over as if it was going to come through the windshield. And And it looked like it would have hit me square in the face had I not moved. On Wednesday evening, I was um, walking into the bedroom at the end of the night, getting ready for bed, and um, I almost always wear shoes because not only do I have big feet that seem to be magnets for things that will hurt them, um, I'm kind of clumsy sometimes, and so I easily find a way to crush my toes against something. It was the end of the night, so I didn't have any shoes on, and I ran square into this wall with my left foot. And I knew when it happened, it wasn't just a normal stub. It wasn't just going to be in pain for a few seconds, but it was serious. And um, I don't think it's broken, um, but one of my toes is severely stubbed and is in fact still discolored. So here's the thing. The Lord was warning me about something. And I wish I could say that I grabbed a hold of it after the brick kicked my windshield, but obviously I didn't because I needed another warning. And the Lord came to me again. And he was warning me about some places that, places we have been studying about together. And places that I had came in, what would we would say a small amount of agreement, but agreement as we learned last week is agreement nonetheless. And places that the Lord wanted me out of and was warning me. Really, the word that I got was watch out. 
I'm grateful, though, not only because I think that this illustrates what we're going to study about tonight, but because the Lord's goodness and mercy was to get my attention about these places. This is the heart of the Father. So we'll, um, we'll look at our, our Amos map to start tonight. So there's a few new details on this map. You'll, you'll be reminded that Amos is from the southern kingdom in Judah, from the city of Tekoa. Last week we studied about Bethel where he is giving his series of messages to the people in Israel. Tonight, Amos is going to speak specifically to those that are in the area of Samaria. So Samaria, of course, still represents Israel as people that are in sin, but he's going to speak specifically to those in Samaria. So you'll remember the outline of Amos. It's always helpful for me, I think, to remember what it is that we're talking about. And so we'll be in chapter 4, which is among Amos's sermons to Israel. This is the second sermon that Amos gives, and it, it's, it's broken up in four different sections. And in fact, if you look in your Bible, you can see that, that the verses, that the numbers, there will be some that are emboldened. So you can see that verse 4 is boldened, which begins a new paragraph. You can see also that verse 6 is boldened, and that begins a new paragraph. And then finally, the final paragraph of Amos' sermon begins in chapter 12. So Amos gives a, a sermon that is thoughtful and well-prepared. It is not just a collection of random ideas or sayings, but he's going to give very specific information that is going to follow this pattern. So if you would join me, we will, we will read this message that Amos gives, all 13 verses of chapter 4. Amos says, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to their husbands, Bring wine, let us drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness, Behold, the days shall come upon you, when he will take you away with fish hooks, and your posterity with fish hooks. You will go out through the broken walls, each one straight ahead of her, and you will be cast into Harmon, says the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. Proclaim and announce the freewill offerings, for this you love, you children of Israel, says the Lord God. Also, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in your places, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I also withheld rain from you where there were still three months to harvest. I made it rain in one city. I withheld rain from another. One part was rained upon and where it did not rain, the part withered. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I blasted you with blight and mildew when your gardens increased, your vineyards, your fig trees, and your olive trees. The locusts devoured them. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. 
I sent among you a plague after the manner of Egypt. Your young men I killed with the sword. Along with your captive horses I made the stench of your camps come up into your nostrils. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Therefore thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind, who declares to man what his thought is, and makes the morning darkness, who treads the high places of the earth, the Lord God of hosts is his name. So like we said last week with Amos's first sermon, this is very different from a typical 21st century sermon. Amos is very direct. He is sharing things that they are certain to understand, certain to understand each of these pictures and the, the context of them. And it's very organized. Amos begins, he, he has what I call kind of a behold sandwich. He begins with this idea of behold, meaning make ready. And he closes this with the same idea of make ready. The behold at the beginning is describing a judgment that will come on the earth. It is a judgment that they will physically experience. The judgment Amos concludes with is eternal judgment. It is spiritual judgment. It is judgment that they may not see in the physical world, but they will experience certainly. So this is, if you will, the introduction and the conclusion of Amos. And sandwiched in beneath these two certainties are first what Israel did. They indulged iniquity. They didn't just accidentally sin, they were satisfied by sin. God's response to this is to warn them. And their response to that, of course, is refusal. And so it's helpful to see Amos' words grouped in these different sections to see what he's trying to accomplish for us. So a few things that I want to kind of point out that maybe you even saw as we read like chapter 3, Amos begins chapter 4 with hear this word. So he is saying to make no mistake that he is not speaking on Amos' behalf. These are not Amos' notes. These are not Amos' agenda, but this is the Lord's word for Israel. The Lord is mentioned seven times in this sermon. Seven times I actually went through and I, I thought, wow, this is kind of amazing how many times the, the name of the Lord is mentioned. And so I began to, to write down each time and there are seven specific times that the Lord is mentioned. Now we know this is the Lord speaking, so Amos really could have just began by saying, this is the word of the Lord, listen up, everything that comes after is the Lord speaking. But Amos is clear and the Lord is clear to remind them that this is none other. None other. 
I think it's so easy for us sometimes to kind of push that aside if we think the Lord's talking to us and maybe think that it's something other. Maybe this isn't the Lord. But this for certain is the Lord speaking. The first person pronoun I, which is being used of the Lord, is used ten times. Ten times it gets even more specific than just the Lord. We're told that it is I. I, the Lord, am bringing and doing and seeing and recognizing these things. The Lord sees. And finally, the second person pronoun, you, which would be Israel and which would be us, is used 30 times. 30 times to say that the Lord recognizes not just the specific sins of Israel, but their choices and their chances and opportunities and the extension of mercy to 30 times you and us. So the first section is really Amos's introduction and his opening to this message, the first three verses. So Amos begins this, of course, by, by saying, hear this word, just like he did in chapter 3, and we remember that this word here is the word Shema that we, we say during our, our Friday services to be reminded that the Lord gave his law to the Israelites. Hear this word, O Israel. So Amos begins and he says, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria. So he's talking to these people that are in Samaria, and he calls them cows of Bashan. Now, in no context 3,000 years ago or today is any woman being called a cow an affectionate way of speaking. In fact, it is derogatory and it is demeaning and... Amos is doing more than we could even imagine because Bashan was an area that was really right around over here. And you can't see very well, but this is the Jordan River right here. And so the Jordan River gave all this fertility to the land around it because of all the water. And so these cows in Bashan were fat and well-fed. They were what we would call prime beef. And so these cows were known for being so overweight that they could barely move because they were so well fed and satisfied. And they fetched a great price for their premium beef. And Amos says that those in Israel were like the cows of Bashan. They were so fat, so stuffed, so well fed because and in spite of them oppressing the poor, crushing the needy, and then even saying to their husbands, bring us wine, let us drink. And there's so many things that are going on here. For one, the women, um, really, it, it says that they called their husbands Lord, which is ironic. It says husbands, but it's the word, it's the word Adon, which means Lord. And so they called them Lord, but they did it in a disrespectful way that their husbands should serve them and bring them and let them eat and drink to their full. And they would essentially sit around and just be intoxicated. All of this fatness and wealth and drinking was made possible by their oppressing the poor and their crushing the needy. Because as we've read, there was by this time this great descent in Israel where there was the great poor and the great rich and no middle, no middle class whatsoever. 
So because of these things, it says in verse 2, the Lord God has sworn by his holiness. This uses the Lord's full name. Adonai Yahweh has sworn by his holiness. In the Hebrew, it's really interesting because it actually, it uses the word holy, but it, to swear is to seven. To use the extent of seven, meaning the fullness, the measure, the highest number, in a sense, the completion. So the Lord actually swears, but he doesn't swear by anything that people swear these days. He swears by himself, meaning he is, in a sense, reminded of who he is and his holiness, which cannot stand by this iniquity of the Israelites any longer. God is held to his own standard and his own word. So he sevens himself, holding fast to his holiness, that he will judge them. It says next, Behold, the day shall come upon you when he will take you away with fish hooks. Now first it says he, and he is capitalized. This is referring to the Lord. We remember that God is bringing this all upon them. This isn't by an accident. God isn't using a third party, but he is allowing this to happen by removing his protection. It says that they will be taken away with fish hooks. And, and on in that verse it says, in your posterity with fish hooks. Meaning the first round of Israel will be pulled out of Israel with fish hooks. And so will the last round. Every last one. And this is really a gruesome picture. Because Assyria, who would overtake Israel, who would bring them into captivity, was known for actually treating humans like cattle. And so unlike other nations like Babylon or nations like Greece who would, who would take a nation captive and would want them to kind of have their own way of life in that nation's name, Assyria wanted to completely take Israel out of Israel and into captivity into Assyria. So they would actually hook up piercings to their noses and they would chain them one to another. So one person would have a chain around their waist like a belt that was connected to the person behind them that was connected to that person's nose. So they would literally be pulled out of Israel with fish hooks in their noses. It says, you will go out through broken walls, each one of you straight ahead of her. And this is the image that Assyria would have broken down the walls of their cities in Israel when they were when they were coming against them in war. And so their broken spaces of the walls, then Israel would be pulled out through these breaches. It's a horrible picture. And then it says, says the Lord. In verse 4, it, it starts this next passage, which is really about the iniquity of Israel. And Amos is being sarcastic here he says come to Bethel and transgress at Gilgal multiplied transgression these were houses of worship well Bethel was Gilgal was actually a place where the false prophets of Israel would worship and gather and so he's being sarcastic to say sure go to these places of false worship and bring your worship for the Lord bring your sacrifices every morning which this in and of itself is, is an ironic statement because it says that they were to bring their sacrifices 
uh, it says, bring your sacrifices every morning. Well, God required sin sacrifices both in the morning and in the evening. Then it says, bring your tithes every three days. Well, the tithes of Israel were to be brought once a year. So these Israelites were bringing their tithes every three days. Then it says, offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. We remember Deborah taught us about the, the sacrifices and the offerings. And the only, the only one that was brought with leaven was a, um, a wave offering that was during certain times of the year. So this meant that they were bringing a Thanksgiving offering that was brought with unleavened bread with leavened bread. A picture not only of not going, knowing God's law, but having their own way and their own way of sin. It says pronounce excuse me, proclaim and announce the free will offerings. They would, of course, let everyone know that they were bringing free will offerings, that they had an abundance to bring and make before the Lord. So Amos says to all these things, for this you love, you children of Israel, saying that you do all of these things for recognition and not to remain in covenant with the Lord. And of course, the Lord does not receive these places. Amos is sarcastic that they should come with their own way to worship and honor the Lord and places that are false and pagan and filled with idolatry. So the next section is Israel's refusal to return to him. So this next section, verses 6 through 11, contains and describes um, the earlier actions that the Lord brought discipline to Israel because of their rebellion. God sent five different punishments to get their attention. So really this chapter or this sermon begins by Amos telling the people what they have done and what they're being held accountable for. And now he's going to remind them what God has done to get their attention. Verse 6, Amos says, Also I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. So cleanness of teeth is an expression meaning that they had no food to eat, so their teeth weren't dirty. They didn't have toothbrushes like we do to, and floss to get the food out of their teeth, so teeth remained dirty if they were well fed. But they had cleanness of teeth because they weren't eating. The Lord had, had caused famine in different cities and towns and villages of Israel. So I'll just read you a couple of verses that describe this. In Second Kings it says, then Elijah spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can, for the Lord has called a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. If you want to write that down, it's 2 Kings 8.1. But Elijah is recording the fact that not only is there a famine in the land, but that the Lord has sent it, and it will continue for seven years. And Isaiah, after Amos, Isaiah 3.1, Isaiah says, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, 
takes away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stock and the store, the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water. Now this is, of course, to Judah, the southern kingdom, but Isaiah is saying that the Lord has sent this famine upon the land and kept food like bread from people to eat. This is the first action that Amos mentions that God was doing to not just punish the Israelites, but to bring their attention back to him for a faithful relationship. So the next place that Amos says in verse 7 and 8 really go together. It says that he withheld rain from them. Also, I withheld rain from you when there were still three months to harvest. So before the farmers could even reap the crops, God withheld rain so that no harvest would occur. So there would be rain in some cities, but not others. It goes, it goes on to say, I made it rain on one city, I withheld rain from another city. One part was rained upon, and where it did not rain, the part withered. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. So God is raining on one place and not on another. So people are moving around from city to city trying to find water to drink just to stay alive, and then that rain would stop. And others would go to another city, and then that rain would stop. They were wandering and wandering and wandering. It says, but they were not satisfied. Then Amos concludes this verse as well to say, you have not returned to me, says the Lord. In 1 Kings 17, 1, it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord excuse me, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall certainly be neither dew nor rain during these years except my word. We remember this and we've studied about it and Elijah prophesied that the Lord would dry up the heavens and that there wouldn't be rain. And it wasn't for no reason. It was for a reason that they would return to him. But Elijah's word was prevalent in those days. See, if if we're Israel and we're hearing this word, we want to think, oh, I don't know, maybe I just missed the Lord's word. But we know when the Lord speaks. We know when the Lord shows us something and when the Lord is aiming to not just convict us and judge us, but draw us to his truth, draw us to his freedom, and when we refuse it. That's what Amos is saying. There's no way anyone in Israel didn't know these things had taken place. In fact, they, they would often number their years by, well, when the great famine happened or when the Lord withheld rain. The third place that Amos gives is in verse 9. It says, I blasted you with blight and mildew. So first we had food that the Lord kept from them, then water. Now this judgment is affecting their bodies, their crops, their produce, and their animals. It goes on in verse 9 to say, when your gardens increased, when your vineyards, your fig trees, and your olive trees, then the locusts devoured them. So in those days there was enough water and enough to produce crops, but then I sent this blight and mildew, and the locusts devoured them. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. 
Then verse 10 says that he sent a plague after like Egypt. The plague was like what God had sent on Egypt when Pharaoh refused to release the Hebrews from slavery. And this is ironic because God had to send nine plagues and then a tenth. To, to, to let the Israelites go out of slavery, yet it is them who is keeping themselves in slavery at this point. It is this self-afflicted place that he was sending plague after plague to get Pharaoh's attention, yet now he's doing it for them. This plague was pestilence, a disease that did not distinguish between young or old or rich or poor, but all. It says, I sent a plague after you, the manner of Egypt. Your young men I killed with the sword along with the captive horses. I made the stench of your camps come into your nostrils, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. David writes in Psalm 78 about pestilence coming on Israel, and he says this, He made a path for his anger. He did not spare their soul from death, but he gave their life over to the plague. This isn't one of the more common red psalms or psalms that are on t-shirts. It says he gave their life over to the plague. If there's anything we know from the plagues, it's that God sends them for deliverance. Then the final place that Amos shares here in verse 11, he says, I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. This is the greatest of all of these plagues because we remember that God's judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed every occupant of those cities except for just three, Lot and his two daughters. And we know what becomes of those people. Even they continued on in that way of darkness. And the Lord says he... he saved them like a firebrand plucked from the burning, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. So five times now, we've read this phrase, have not returned. Each time it says, you have not returned to me, yeah, excuse me, yet. Still, notwithstanding, even amongst all I have done, you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Now, in one, in one sense, this phrase, have not returned, means exactly what we read, like a direction, like they are going one way and they are simply not returning and going back. But this word return comes from the Hebrew word shub, which means to repent. So Amos is using a word that in another context, this exact same word would mean the word repent. But here he is using it in the very physical, geographical sense of not turning back. But in each of these places, we should understand the greater meaning than just turning is repenting. Returning to him, leaving our ways or direction leaving our purpose for his. In each of these punishments, 
these rich Israelites did not return to the Lord. That's what he says. God controlled everything they had in their lives. He brought plague after plague after plague in his mercy for them. He spared them and he warned them. Still these rich Samaritans walked the ways they wanted, oppressing the poor and worshiping false gods. And God's judgment would not spare the unrepentant. So Amos's conclusion here in verses 12 and 13 is about God's spiritual judgment. Verse 12 says, Therefore thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what, is, what his thought is and makes the morning darkness who treads the high places of the earth, the Lord God of hosts is his name. These are really terrifying words here. And I, and I, I really can't help but, but almost tremble a little bit because he says, therefore, thus, because of all I've just said, I will do to you, Israel. And because I will do this, prepare to meet your God. Prepare to meet your maker is really what this says. This uses Elohim to, to say, prepare to meet the one who has created you, O Israel. Uses Israel each time there to make no qualms about who Amos is talking about. This is God's people. Because God has formed the mountains and has created the wind. And he is the one who gives understanding to man. He's the one who, who makes the morning into darkness and evening. He's the one who treads the high places of the earth. The Lord God of hosts is his name. So Amos describes how they would be taken from their land physically, from their inheritance, from the promised land of God, and now, more significantly, they will be taken spiritually. He says they will meet him. Some really dwell on whether this section here is talking about the final judgment or it is talking about their judgment at this time whether it is talking just about the physical or more about the spiritual and I think that really both of those places have their significance but it's it's realizing that what we experience in the physical is just a glimpse of spiritual judgment and separation that brings that it brings in the spirit realm and in our relationship with God so the things that Israel is experiencing physically, being driven out of Israel, being driven out with hooks in their noses like cattle, being driven out because God is sending this judgment, is just a reflection of what is happening spiritually because they have refused the Lord's warnings. So this 
this week as I've been studying, I, I, I really have not been able to get out of my head some lines from the Chronicles of Narnia. And it really doesn't matter if you've read the Chronicles of Narnia. If you're familiar with it, it might help. If you're not familiar, that's okay. But there's a lion in the Chronicles of Narnia named Aslan. And Aslan represents God, particularly Jesus. And so there's this situation where there are some that are just learning about Aslan, just learning who he is. And one asks, is he a man? Response is, Aslan a man? Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Do you not know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, another says, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, make no mistake. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking is either braver than most or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said another. Safe? Do you hear what we tell you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Of course he isn't safe, but he is good and he is the king. I think that many have worked to dilute the holiness of God, aiming to make God safe and approachable and focusing on the God that we want, not the God that scripture describes. Now our God is indeed, as the psalmist says in 145, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He is slow to anger and great in mercy. Goes on to say the Lord is good to all. But these aspects cannot be taken out of context of his holiness and God's full character. Amos describes these great places of the Lord's grace and his compassion, his slowness to anger and his mercy through the Lord's attempts to warn them. And this is exactly what the Lord was doing for me this week with a brick in my windshield and a stubbed, bruised toe. The Lord was warning me and the Lord was expressing his love for me. I pray that we would heed these words of Amos, recognizing the goodness of our Father to discipline those whom he loves.